Your countdown is over. That's no excuse, Shelby. She tried to use my mom as her excuse. I can only use my mom as my excuse, okay? So welcome, everyone. My name is Tom. If you're new here, just welcome. I hope that you have felt welcomed. I hope that um, people have greeted you and, and you've had a chance to meet a couple people around here. How many of you guys like really like that song, The Great I Am, that we sing? Here's what we realize. The Great I Am is our jam. That when we sing that song, we're going to make t-shirts that are going to say that. It's going to be really cheesy, but it's going to be awesome. So um, we find that, that people, we love to engage in that song. It's, it's awesome. And, and, and just in worship today, I, I just, I am excited that as a church, we sing songs to Jesus. Do you, have you guys figured that out? That we sing songs to God, we, we sing to him. We don't sing about him as if he's not present or if God's this, you know, great pie in the sky. We sing to God. Because his presence is here. And, and, and that's what I love about the worship here at Branches. A um, couple quick announcements that I want to make. First of all, the men's retreat is two weekends away. Um, if you're signed up to go, Mitch has some information for you. So Mitch is, and his wife lead our B kids. So see Mitch if you're signed up to go. There's about two spaces left, two openings left that, that we can slot somebody in. So if you would like to go, we want you to go and see Mitch on that, okay? And then next week with the the family barbecue. This is kind of a, has become a tradition for us. We started, you know, our first year we had the barbecue and and we we just had a great time. Here's what you need to bring. You need to bring um, bathing suits or something you can maybe get wet in if you want to participate in some of the water activity and a towel, nothing else. All the food, everything else, drinks, all that we're providing. It's just part of us as a church having a, a great time together, a family celebration. So, and, and anybody's invited to come. So bring neighbors, family, friends, whoever. We, we're, we'll have plenty of food and we'll have a great time. So that's right after church next Sunday. Bounce house for the kids, the epic slip and slide. I think we're going to play base, the kickball again, the one that Mike Moss fractured his toe in. Did you guys know this? He, fra- he ended up fracturing his toe. So we'll have a first aid kit. So it's going to be a great time. So next week. Listen, listen to what I read this week. In 1996, Southampton, Southampton College at Long Island University awarded an honorary doctorate degree to Kermit the Frog. Awesome, isn't it? So if you don't know what a doctorate degree is, an honorary doctorate degree is a, a degree that a university will give to somebody as kind of an award when they haven't done all the work to earn a doctorate degree. So they haven't gone through the years and years and years of study. They haven't racked up the thousands and tens of thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. But they are able to get a doctorate degree because the university decides to give them one. In 2001, Yale University gave the honorary doctorate degree to George W. Bush. And many of the students and faculty protested by walking out and not showing up to the commencements. And, and because there's controversy surrounding these honorary doctorate degrees, because a lot of times they're given to people who simply just donate large amounts of money to a university or for political reasons. And you can understand that if you're a student that has been busting your butt, working through school, and you're about to walk across the stage on your final time and get your doctorate degree, and somebody who rolls up because they've written a fat check or for political reasons or because they're a green frog that loves a pig gets one, 
you would be a little bit upset, wouldn't you? It wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't seem fair. Now, let, let, me, let, me, let me take this thought down a different road. Is there anybody here who's an Eagle Scout? Jack is an Eagle Scout. Anybody else is an Eagle Scout? So, so I called John Payton this week. John Payton's one of our, our core members here at, at Branches, and he's out of town. And I thought he was an Eagle Scout. So, Jack, this is going to play really well, okay? I said, John Payton, are you an Eagle Scout? He said, no, I'm a Life Scout. I said, well, what's a Life Scout? He said, it's the next step below Eagle Scout. And he, says, he said, but I, I ended up completing everything for an Eagle Scout, just not the final, the final interview. And then we moved to Indiana, and I never got a chance to do it. Here, let me explain to you what, an Eagle Scout, what it takes to be an Eagle Scout, okay? It, it takes that you, you're active in a troop, and, and for an Eagle Scout, average, they say it takes four to five years to become an Eagle Scout. So it's four to five years of your life. You have good character, and, 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 you, and people see that in you. There's 21 merit badges that you have to earn. So a merit badge means that you learn something, you, you, you figure something out, you do something, and you earn a badge, badge saying that you have done the work to complete this specific thing. Um, it, there's, and that's 21 merit badges, which is 10 more than a life, life, um, a life scout. There's a six months worth of, worth of leadership that you have to do. You have to do some leadership training. You have to do a service project where you plan it, you execute it, and you complete a service project. You have to go to a leader's conference. And then the final one is that you go before a board after submitting this lengthy application for a review by a board of, of men who, who will answer, ask you questions and deem you if you've completed the Eagle Scout. Is that fairly accurate, Jack? So, so here's what I would ask. If you had a, a group of Eagle Scouts and we brought, uh, what's the very first step? The tenderfoot. That's the one that they don't even know if they can run a lap. They bring the tenderfoot in and they just say, we're just going to make you an Eagle Scout. Just rush you from tenderfoot to Eagle Scout. I would imagine that the, the Eagle Scouts who have put in the time and have earned, earned all the merit badges would be a little bit upset. Because what happens is in our world, we, we measure things by earning, by what we deserve, by working hard, by judging others. And we don't like the idea of someone just stepping in and getting something for free that they haven't worked for, paid for, or earned, do we? And so, so that's kind of my, my lead way, my, my lead way into today's message of, of the continuing of our series that we've been talking about called Nuts and Bolts. And today we're going to talk about this foundational principle of God's grace. And, and so if you've not been with us, we've been walking through nuts and bolts of the summer. And basically, what, here's the premise of what we've been doing. We've been talking about basic foundational truths of the Christian faith. What, why, what, what, what are we built on what, why are we Christians? And so we talked about who is Jesus. We talked about life with God. We talked about who the Holy Spirit is. We talked about mercy. We talked about forgiveness last week. And I know that a lot of people process that and, and, and work through that, and some great things took place with that. And so today we want to talk about, about God's grace. And the topic of God's grace is huge. And there's many directions that we can go with that. Um, what is grace? How do we receive grace? What do we do with the grace? How do we give grace? We could talk about all these different topics, but in the effort to stay with the nuts and bolts, I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to talk about just two foundational truths about the nuts and bolts of grace, God's grace. If you've heard of a guy named Brian Welch, he was the lead singer, is this correct, of the band Korn? Do we know this? Lead guitar player, correct? Of the band Korn. Is everybody with me? Who's heard of Korn? Okay, we're not going to argue this, Michael. <laughs> He's in this band called Corn. 
Brian Head Welch. So, so this band was in the 90s and into the 2000s. They're still, I'm still, they're still a band today. Made millions and millions and millions of dollars, you know, records, toured the world, top, top leading band on the charts and, and of that kind of music of those people. Um, most of us would not listen to it, but these couple guys that raise their hands. Um, and Brian Welch met Jesus. And as a result of him meeting Jesus, he left the band Corn. So what he did is he walked away from, from millions and millions of dollars. He walked away from fame. He walked, walked away from fortunes. And, and also, he walked away from the lifestyle of drugs and alcohol and partying and, and all the issues that come with the industry. And, and recently surfaced again on Facebook was an interview from him, and, and we don't know why it surfaced, because it's been years since he got saved, but this interview surfaced, and the, the interviewer is asking him about how he came to Jesus. He's talking about his drug addiction, he's talking about his depression, he's talking about his loneliness, he's talking about how the two guys that were business partners with him with real estate were Christians, and they didn't jam Christianity down, down his throat, but they simply shared Jesus with him at the point that he needed to hear Jesus. And, and then the interviewer said this to him. He asked him, he said, what, why do you think you are here on earth? What are you here on earth for? This is what the interviewer asked Brian Head Welch. Now, I, I was working and listening to this interview, and I paused and leaned in because I was really curious what this guy would say. What, what, is the re- what would this guy say is the number one reason he's here on earth? Because he's, since he's been saved, he's been moving around the country and around the world and, and with, with people ministering to people, sharing his testimony, and doing a lot of great work for, for God's kingdom. And here's what he said without hesitation. He said, God put me on this earth to have fellowship and intimacy with him. And as we move towards this topic of grace, here's what I want us to be reminded of, that fellowship and intimacy with God is the reason that he pours out his grace on us. So that's our big idea. That's our take home, that God's grace is to restore fellowship and intimacy with his creation, with us. Okay? So that, that's when we end today, and I say, why, why did God give his grace it's to restore intimacy and fellowship with us. That's, that's the number one reason why God's grace is poured out for us. So a basic definition of grace is this, unmerited favor. And so, so to break that down, like the Boy Scouts, they earn merit badges. They do things to earn. God's grace is us doing nothing and him pouring out his favor or his approval, his support, his kindness without us doing anything. God's grace is freely given to us. Two of the most probably well-known hymns that we could ever sing are, are what? Old Rugged Cross, right? And Amazing Grace. Would you guys agree with that? When I think of what, if you ask me what are two hymns I sung, I would know to sing is Amazing Grace and Old Rugged Cross. John Newton wrote, wrote the, the, the song Amazing Grace. And here's what I believe. I believe he understood God's grace. And, and through that, I want to talk about the two two points of God's grace. Here, look at verse one of, of the song. It says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. This verse, here's what this verse is saying, that God's grace saves us. Do you see that? God's grace saves us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter five. This is a lengthy scripture, but I want you to, to follow along on the screen or read with me. Romans five verses 12 through 21. So, you know, about 11 or... I don't even know, nine verses. But it says this. When Adam's sin, sin entered the world. 
Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God, as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through, his, through the, this other man, Jesus Christ. As the result of God's gracious gift is... I'm going to start that one over. <laughs> and the result... See, I said as. One word changes everything. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift led to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin that this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his great gift of righteousness. For all who have received it live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because the other person obeyed God, many became righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So, just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is, that's the Bible in a nutshell. That's, that's the main and plain of vineyard theology, is man's sin, man's going to die, and we're talking about physical death, we're talking about spiritual death. God's grace is Jesus Christ and brings life. That's what, we're, that's what we stand on. God's grace saves us. Because we are all man and woman, but mankind, we, we live under this, this debt of sin. And the debt, the payment is death. And because of God's grace sending Jesus and Jesus' obedience on the cross, we have life. And, and so what that does is that changes our identity. Verse 16, let me just read it. You don't have to go back, Holly. But verse 16 says this, as a result of God's gracious gift, and a result, I did it again, of God's gracious gift, is very different from the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, condemnation, but God's free gift led to us being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many sins. For the sin of one man caused death to rule over many, but the greater gift is God's wonderful grace and gift of righteousness. When we come to Jesus, when his grace saves us, we become righteous. Now, now here's what we like to do. We like to wallow around in our sin. We like, to, we like to claim that we're wretched people, that we're sinners, that, oh, woe is us, that we're, we have problems. But that's a wrong claim as Christians. Because when we come to Jesus, we're made righteous in God's eyes. And what that means is that we're no longer the sinners, the wretched people that we were, but we are sons and daughters of the Almighty God. I would love for us to be a group of people that are proudly and boldly claiming, I'm a son, I'm a daughter of the king. I'm no longer a sinner. 
Sin no longer has a grip on me. And, and when we can understand that identity, we can walk in, in, this, in this favor and power of God because we're his sons and daughters. Instead of walking in a cowardly state, wondering that when, we're, when we mess up, which we will, that he's going to crush us because that's not what God's heart is. God's heart is to, is to love us and hold us up, and it's through his grace that he does us. So God's grace saves us. That's, that's point one. We're finished halfway. Okay? Point two, just as grace is, is defined as unmerited favor, we can also define it as this, God's sufficiency or God's fullness in the life of the believer. So here's verse three of the song Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis, tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. So here's the point. God's grace sustains us. God's grace carries us through in this life. Titus 2 says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. We just talked about that. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, with righteousness, and devoted to God, while we look forward to the hope to that wonderful day when the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. So God's grace sustains us. It's not only that God's grace saves us, but God's grace also is there for us to serve and to live the Christian life. Picture this. Here's how I picture God's grace. If you're a marathon runner, you might have seen this because this has taken place. So you see these marathon runners. Um, when I ran a marathon, I made it to the block, and then I stopped. I quit. Um, but you see these marathon runners, and just picture a marathon runner who's been out running, and they're, they're approaching that 26th mile. And they're, they're, they enter into the stadium where the finish line is. So they enter in, and they have to round the curve, and then the straightaway, and the tape is held before them. But as they come in, you can see that their legs are jelly. You can see that they're wobbly. They're, there was a person that this happened to. And as they round that last corner, and they can see forward, they collapse. There's, there's no, they can't go any further. The, the, the race, the, the, the pressure and the torture of running has caused them to collapse. So as they're laying there trying to pull themselves up, two other runners enter into the arena. And as they come around the corner, they stop and they prop the person up on their shoulder. And they walk that person across the finish line. And this is, this is my picture of how God's grace works. God's grace is the two runners that pick us up and carry us to the finish line. And without that, we won't make it. It's God's grace sustaining us and carrying us through. Is that, is that a decent picture? Do you guys get that? that? That as Christians, it's God's grace poured out on us that when we mess up, because there's flesh still in us, there's flesh, flesh still in me, God's great grace comes and takes care of the sin and allows me to go and speak on the behalf of him and, and, and proclaim Jesus to other people. Because somebody can look at me and say, Tom, why, how, who are you to tell me about Jesus? Who, are, who am I to stand up here today? I'm nobody. It's God's grace. I'm here because of God's grace. God's grace is sustaining me. God's grace is allowing me to stand here and share his word with all of us. And it's only because of God's grace that, that it's carrying me through. So verse, verse, um, verse 12 Let's look at that again. We are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion. Here's what God's, God's grace does. It sustains us, 
and it, to turn from godless living and sinful pleasure. God's grace carries us through that. God's grace gives us wisdom in this evil world. world. God's grace makes us righteous, and God's grace draws us to be devoted to him. We are today what we are because of God's grace. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said, whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out his special favor on me. And not without results, for I have worked harder than any other, than any of the other apostles. Yet it is not I, but God who is working through me by his grace. Everything we do is because of God's grace. So grace sustains us, and grace saves us. And that's it, we're done. But let me, let me not finish there. Let me, let me talk about one last thing, because, because Paul, Paul anticipated a question or a challenge when he wrote chapter 5. And, and he starts chapter 6 by answering a question or a challenge. Because at the end of chapter 5, here's what it says. It says, as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So I believe Paul anticipated that people would go, well, then I want so much of God's grace that I'm going to just keep on sinning so I could have more and more of God's grace. And here's what Paul wrote starting chapter 6 as he continues his grace talk. He says, should we keep on sinning so God can show more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. We died to sin. How can we continue to live in it? Christians, you're dead to sin. There's victory over sin. God's grace is not so we can sin and sin and, and just do our own thing and let it pour out on us. God's grace is to uphold, cover, and carry us because we will mess up. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Okay, so stand with me. I tried to, I tried to think about, that's, that's a great foundation, right? Okay, we, we know God's, through God's grace we're saved. We, and, and maybe it's new to think that God's grace sustains us, but that's a good idea. But what do we do with that? What do we, what do we, how do we, what's the take home? The take home is that what I said in the beginning, to have fellowship and intimacy with God. And it's because of his grace that he, he pours out his grace on us so we can have fellowship and intimacy with God. And then, and then this is a, a, an attribute of God. His grace is, is an attribute. And, and some of God's attributes, like one of his attributes is omniscient, right? All-knowing or omnipotent, all-powerful. Those are attributes that are only for God. But some of his attributes are transferable to us. And one of his attributes that's transferable is the attribute of grace. That, that just as God shows us favor when we don't earn it, we can carry grace out into the world, world and show people favor and show people, show people love and compassion regardless if they earn it or not. And, and so that would be what I would encourage you today, that, that as we go out, you, we're going to come across people that really we don't want to love or don't deserve to be loved. And it, it may happen when you enter into your car with your wife or your husband. Um, hopefully it happens outside of your home. <laughs> Josh. <laughs> the band can come up while I... What's that? I know. And then jo- Josh, Josh got nudged by Mallory, so I saw something was going on here. So you guys, if you need prayer, we're going to have prayer up here. Um, yeah, so you guys understand what I'm saying. God's grace is awesome for us, but we can, we can be gracious people to a world that needs it, to a world that needs, needs to see God's love through us. 
So, so we're going to wrap up with a, a song of worship, and then if you're new here, you don't, you don't know what we do next. We do what we call ministry time. Dave talked about it. It's a time to, to 